the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. All you need to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always I remind you if you're driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen you'll be connected directly to our studio producer hey the phone's been kind of quiet uh, first uh, last part of the last week first part of this week so uh, we'd love your calls. Let me get to some questions that have been sent in. Uh, the first one is from Lynette from our email inbox. And Lynette, I got to say, I love your revelation questions. Um, I absolutely love it. The, 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 it's so important we understand this. Here's a question. She says, concerning the great multitude in front of the throne in Revelation in chapter 7, verse 9, are they raptured before God pours out his fourth bowl of wrath because Revelation 7.16 says they won't suffer scorching heat. Um, a couple of things you have to remember about uh, the, the prophecy of Revelation. Um, when, when, chapter, when verse 9 opens with, After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And in the context of the passage, Lynette, uh, it's an indication of how successful the ministry of the 144,000 will be. They're introduced to us in this chapter. They're the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will be protected by God, sealed by God, and they will have supernatural powers and they will lead the greatest revival in the history of the world. But it says that um, the multitude was from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Now, we know this can't be happening during the time that John is writing about. So what's happening here is John is viewing this heavenly scene uh, from a perspective outside of time and space. What he's doing, he's seeing the end of the Great Tribulation. This is God showing him um, the end of the Great Tribulation, how things are going to turn out. And uh, even though in the in the, the passage of Scripture, the, the Great Tribulation part just begins in chapter 6, um, uh, he's seeing the end of it. And this throng from every nation, tribe, people, language are all of those who will be martyred during the final seven years, the end of Christ, because they won't take the mark of the beast, they won't worship him. Um, th- these are, are, are men and women who will lose their lives. They will be beheaded. 
It says, I'm going to continue because I like this, uh, Lynette. It says, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. The white robes, of course, indicate that they've been cleansed of their sins by the blood of Jesus. Just like you and, and I have been cleansed, they believed by faith in the message brought by the 144,000. And the palm branches that they hold are also significant. Uh, the last time we saw people holding palm branches was to proclaim the arrival of King Jesus. We called that the triumphal entry. But because they rejected him that time, um, and all because he was the king they, the, 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 that they didn't want, um, but in this particular time, at the end of the Great Tribulation, he'll be bringing with him the sword the people expected the first time. In other words, he's going to come in judgment. Uh, and they cried out in a loud voice, and this is just worship. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces uh, before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Now, I love that worship song, and that's what it is. It's just worship. Um, in this passage, and here's the, the 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 symbolism that is clear from earlier in the book. Um, we're in heaven again. John is seeing the end of the great tribulation. We're already there. We've been raptured, the church now, but but he's seeing the end. We're represented by the the, the elders, um, and, and we're all just saying thank you. We're saying thank you. Um, then we get to the verses that you're talking about. We get to verse, I'm going to go to 15 instead of just 16. It says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. So remember, this is a supernatural picture of the end of the Great Tribulation that John gets to see. And what he's watching, he's watching Jesus spreading his tent over them. It's a beautiful picture because these Tribulation survivors suffered immensely until their death. They went hungry um, they, they couldn't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. During the judgments, the sun scorched those who were alive on the earth. And uh, and the water um, later in the Great Tribulation was poisoned. And these people would be forced to endure uh, horrible conditions and great, great uh, thirst as well. But in heaven, there'll be no more of that. Jesus, then and now, is the answer. So, Lynette, this isn't something that's happening chronologically. This is a vision for the end of time. Good question. Thank you. And keep bringing the Revelation questions. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous. Um, it says, Some theologians say that Isaiah and Daniel were not written by just one person. Isaiah, they say, was written by three different authors. What are your thoughts? Uh, I've dealt with this in bo both uh, Isaiah and Daniel before, uh, Anonymous. Um, uh, those theologians, um, liberal theologians, um, are wrong. What can I tell you? Jesus quoted from Isaiah a lot, and and in all three um, divisions of Isaiah that, that the, the theologians say was written by different persons, Jesus quotes it and attributes it to Isaiah. And if Jesus is confident that it was Isaiah who said it, then we know that the book was not written. Here's the problem, especially with prophetic books. And Daniel is even, is even more controversial. Uh, and the reason it's more controversial is because the prophecies are fulfilled so specifically. And these are liberal theologians, not Christians. They're not born-again believers. But they're, they're theologians that don't believe in the supernatural. How could, how could all these prophecies be right? If it was written by Daniel while he was still alive, um, then, then it could never have been this accurate. Well, um, it's God who's writing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he knows the end from the beginning. So um, Anonymous, don't be discouraged by people who will say, that um, they were written not by the people that we know they're written by, 
but they were somehow concocted by others after and for different motives. You know, in my early walk with the Lord, um, um, I had so many questions, and and I struggled with this. And I, I actually did a lot of study at a very, very liberal school of theology in Claremont, California. And um, I ran across all of the stuff that you're talking about, from the Jesus Seminar to the questions about Daniel and Isaiah. Uh, I, I ran across the critics who said that it couldn't be written by them. It wasn't true. Um, and so I had to learn to deal with that. Very, very early in my walk with the Lord, I had to, to, to decide, um, well, am I going to take this at face value um, and believe that Isaiah wrote it or Daniel wrote it? Um, or or am I am I just going to let my faith be shipwrecked? And and I really really dug into to um, discern what was true. And I mean I studied everything, and I had to get to the point where I realized that uh, it was not at all um, uh, anything that we could count on those those uh, those critics. So I hope that helps you. Be careful. We got to be careful. I learned a lot of discernment how to include and exclude books and or commentators um, during the course of those studies. And it's, it's helped me a great deal over my, my many years of being a pastor. Here's another anonymous question. He wants to know, is it a sin not to vote? I'm getting tired of the whole process. Anonymous, I'm watching. I, and, uh, you know, Paul has been gone, so I'm watching television. And the the political commercials... My goodness, I want Jesus to come just to rescue us from the political commercials that are on. It's just horrible. Um, I, I think it's our responsibility to, to, to vote. Um, there are times when we can't find somebody to vote for. That's okay. You can still vote on issues or certain offices. Um, but, but uh, you know, I think this is a decision you have to make. Um, like you, I'm getting tired of the whole process, but we can't. Uh, get tired of something when it's a, a, a privilege or responsibility that's given to us. You know, I am convinced that that uh, it doesn't matter um, who gets into public offices. Uh, nothing changes. And uh, one side's not more righteous than the other side. And yet we have to win these battles. And, and the real damage I've seen, Anonymous, is the way these arguments divide the body of Christ um, um, you know, back in, in the last presidential election, uh, we actually had people in our church uh, who were insulting other people in our church on social media. Now, I'm not on social media, so I didn't see any of that, but I would hear that. And, and, and I, I talked to him and said, how, how, how can we be more embarrassing than to choose a political candidate or a political party over a brother or a sister in the Lord. And so I just, I'm tired of the whole process as well. However, I, I do believe that we should vote um, and, uh, you know, who knows what will happen. But, but yeah, I think we ought to vote. Is it a sin? I don't think so. But, but I think uh, stewardship is one of the things that Jesus spoke of a lot. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Michael says, "I was told that the church has inherited all of Israel's blessings because they rejected Jesus. Is that true, um, Michael? No, it's not true. And in fact, that is a particularly demonic um, um, doctrinal position to take." Um, you know, if for a moment we, we the church, um, we have our own blessings. And our blessings, Romans chapter 8, just read them, are greater than Israel's blessings. But no, God promised Abraham unconditionally certain things. And he extended that promise through um, uh, Isaac and Jacob and, and made promises to King David and made promises earlier than that to Moses. And those promises, when God makes a promise, it has to come true, because if it doesn't come true, then in fact, um, he's not God. He's not innocent. He's not holy and just. So uh, the church has not inherited all of Israel's blessings. It is um, a demonic doctrine. It is satanic at its core. And uh, it is gaining popularity. Remember, the devil has always hated Jews. He's always hated Israel. 
Um, and and uh, he is unfortunately influencing people who are professing Christians and they've turned away from Israel or support for Israel. Um, now, I, I want to be clear. Israel is not the Holy Land. It will be one day when Jesus is there and we'll be there with him. But it's not the Holy Land now. Uh, it's a mess. Jews are not saved. They're not born again. They're not following God any more now than they were when Isaiah was warning them about about uh, judgments to come in, in in the form of enemy kings and armies, or Jeremiah or any of the others. Uh, prophet after prophet, they tried to kill or they sent away, and and they simply didn't care what the, the Lord said to do. They were they were chasing other little g-gods. Uh, they were doing a, a horrible, horrible things, things that I can't even talk about on this radio program. And uh, and God warned them over and over again. So they forfeited the blessings. But remember, the unconditional covenants that God made um, weren't dependent on Israel's performance. Now, there were a lot of them that were, but not the unconditional covenants. And so God has to have a man sitting on the throne of David forever and ever. And, of course, we know that's going to be Jesus. So uh, that's not true. Be really, really careful of it. And uh, remember, read Romans 9, 10, 11, Michael, and that'll give you an idea what God's uh, view of his people Israel is all about. Good question. This is Jamie or Jaime. I'm not sure. Uh, I know we should want to be with Jesus, but I'd rather stay in the world here. Is that a sin? Um, I don't. It's not a sin, um, but 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 it's certainly a a skewed perspective of things. Um, I, I don't know uh, Jaime or Jamie. I, I don't know um, why anybody would want to stay in this world. I don't understand. Now, there's good things in this world. And I, I, I'm careful to say this every time I answer a question like this. I love my life. I love my life, but it's nothing compared to that moment when we're with Jesus. Paul said to, to die and be with Jesus is better by far. He said he was torn. He didn't know what to do. Uh, in, in one hand, he'd been to heaven. He'd, he'd seen it, and he knew that was the best by far. But on the other hand, he knew there was still work that he hadn't finished yet and, and God was going to keep him here. So um, it was like asking the question, the Holy Spirit revealed the answer. Nevertheless, I'll stay here and do some work. But he wanted to be with Jesus, and that's what motivated him to do the wonderful things he does. Now, for you and for me, there are things in this world that we absolutely love, things that we want to do. I, I have the best job in the whole world. And um, uh, there's nothing I would want to do more than this, except be with Jesus. I have the best wife in the history of the world. And and I, I want to spend time with her. Uh, I want to grow old with her. In fact, we're already doing that. But I, I want to grow old with her. But I would rather be with Jesus. So I think what you need to do is really dig in and find out more about who he is and the plans that he has for you. Ephesians chapter 3 says that he'll do more than we can ask or imagine. Um, Jamie or Jaime, I've got a big imagination. So what you need to do is focus on the things above. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Uh, I'm sorry, the church in Colossae. Uh, he, he said to set your minds and hearts. The mind is the place of decision. The heart is the place of affection on things above. Now, you know in your mind that heaven is going to be wonderful. But you don't know that in your heart. Now, I'm talking to you as a man who doesn't like change. Heaven on earth for me would be if every day were just exactly the same. But being with Jesus means every day will be the same. Every day will be wonderful. So, prayerfully consider that. Open your Bible and really let the Lord speak to your heart. Here is a question from Anthony. Uh, I've been asked this before, but not this direct. He says, are all religions except Christianity demonic? Um, yeah, the answer is yes. Now, that the intent in the hearts of the people who... 
who um, are, are adherents to those religions. They don't know it. But there's there's just two spirits, a Holy Spirit and an unholy spirit. And, and anything, Anthony, that uh, stands in contradiction to the Word of God, the Bible as we've delivered it, a relationship with Jesus Christ that requires us to be born again, anything and everything that excludes that is demonic. It's Satan trying to, to, to blind you with just enough truth to keep you away from the presence of God. So, yeah, all religions, um, the people, I'm not saying the people are horrible people. I'm not saying that they're demon-possessed, but just the concept, the idea behind the religion, the foundation uh, of all of those religions come crumbling down, and it's because uh, they're not true. So it's either true or it's not true. If it's true, then it's Jesus. If it's not true, then it's demonic. He's the father of lies, the devil is. And all religions are a lie, except for that which was once and for all delivered to the saints. That's the faith as we understand it um, some 2,000 years after the cross. So, Anthony, don't go around telling people that Pastor Ron said everybody who worships another religion is demon-possessed. Um, but, but, but there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So by definition, that means every other religion that espouses another way is demonic at its core. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Phyllis. Um, Pastor, and I have some things that I desire to do with my life, but how can I know if these desires are from God? Um, Phyllis, um, you know, the psalmist, David writes, uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, that doesn't mean you're going to get all the things that you ask for, but but what it means is that the desires that you find in your heart are desires given by God. So if you are delighting in the Lord, then the rea- the the result will be that those desires that you find in your heart are given to you by Him, and of course then you pursue Him with all of your strength and with all of your energy. Um, I don't know what the things that you desire to do really are, but but uh, if you've got an open Bible, if you're walking with the Lord, if you're if you're spending time with Him in prayer, um, He will let you know very clearly uh, if those desires are from Him or not. Uh, there's there's the desires that I've had in my heart that I thought were from God that turned out not to be at all. There are other desires that I didn't, I wasn't even aware of that God would place a burden on my heart, and then I would just all of a sudden um, have this this burning desire to do something, and and then I'd realize it was from the Lord. So, um, if those desires, the things that you want to do with your life, are drawing you closer to Jesus, helping you love Him more, helping you understand Him more. The Bible says that we're to grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of His will for your life. Um, if if those desires are doing that, then they're probably from the Lord. Don't be surprised. On the other hand, if if you're not using these desires to get closer to the Lord, if you're not... Um, um, if you haven't made Jesus the single greatest priority in your life, um, then those are desires that are are um, in opposition to what God wants in your life. Now, the problem is you won't know what they are, but that's where we have to trust the Lord. You know, the book of Romans says, um, Therefore, brothers, I urge you or I beseech you, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that he's done for you, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is our spiritual act of worship, the NIV says, our reasonable service, the King James says. And then it goes on. It says that we're not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind or the, the, the new uh, thinking that God has for us that we know we get only from his word. And then the Bible gives us a promise. Then you will know 
what is God's perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will. And Phyllis, that's all we have to do. We have to trust God. Now, let me also say this. Um, Sometimes we get a little bit too curious. You know, we want to know what God's plan for our life is. and, And God wants us just to walk with him every day, to follow him every day. And he'll walk us right into the perfect will of God. He's done that in my life, Phyllis. He'll do it in yours. So I guess the answer to the question is, if in fact that the desires that you have for your life are drawing you closer to the Lord, then they're probably from him. If they're not, then these are the desires you've got to take before the throne of God. And you've got to be able to say, Um, Jesus, thy will, not my will be done. If you can't pray that, Phyllis, with these desires in your heart, then what you need to do is say, okay, Lord, I tell my church all the time, open your hands and say, Jesus, everything that's not of you, take out of there. And I'm going to keep my hands open, and then, then once that stuff is gone, you put your stuff in there, and I'm going to hold on for dear life. And Phyllis, if you'll do that, you're going to find that... um, Being in the will of God is not as difficult as most people think. Faith, faith, faith is necessary. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. Uh, We've got uh, Jim on line one. Jim, I'll get to you first right after the break. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our Tuesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that came in from Scott from our mobile app. I'm reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Will unbelievers be able to see Jesus in the sky when he raptures the church and we meet him in the air? The verse says it's 417, 1 Thessalonians. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Scott, no, they won't be able to see us. This will be uh, just a, a, a private trumpet call and we'll go up in an instant and we'll be with Jesus. They will not be able to see him. Um, I don't know what kind of supernatural phenomena will accompany the rapture, if any. You know, we see the, the old rapture movies and stuff, and you see people with their clothes left behind. But instantly, the, the, the catching away uh, will happen, and the world then will be left to deal with the, um, the rapture of the church, the, the disappearance of all those people. Thank you for that question. Okay, we've got Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for holding your on the air. Well, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, uh, I was driving. I'm driving home, and uh, I-, I was intrigued by your uh, your comment. And don't worry, I understand everything you said. I'd never misquote you, but uh, you said that I understand that people are not uh, uh, possessed by a demon or demonic possessed. But and I, I I really was interested in your comment where you said. All other religions are uh, from from a demon or Satan, and so my question was this: like, is uh, at Mount Sinai when God was speaking? Do you consider that an exception, or would you be kind enough to clarify and explain that to me? Well, no. When when Mount Sinai, of course, that was God speaking to them. And and that that was the only way God revealed Himself to the people at that time. So no, that was the same God of the Bible. Um, um, the, you know, one of the things we got to deal with 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 uh, Judaism and and also I'll extend this to Catholicism, Jim. Um, you know, they've got the same Father, the same Son, the same Holy Spirit. So the thing that remains is the question: Are they born again? Jesus Himself said to Nicodemus, that you will in no way inherit the kingdom of God except a man be born again. So 
Um, no, that was the way God revealed himself. The Bible says that even now, uh, there is a veil that covers the heart of Jews. They've got the same same God, but but apart from Jesus Christ, they have no access to that God. And the only way that veil is torn from their heart is by turning to Jesus. So that's, that's one of the ways that we can pray for Jews. But no, Judaism... Um, when, when God had only revealed himself to the world, first through Abraham and then through uh, Moses and the law and then through um, um, Joshua and then through the prophets at many times in various ways. That's what Hebrews, uh, the way Hebrews begins. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us in Son. So, no, obviously that wasn't demonic. That was our God. Uh, that was the way he chose to reveal himself at that time. Um, um, and now, of course, he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's like we had a revelation of God uh, in, in, in his revelations to people in the Old Testament, but we also had a revelation of God in the law. Um, but but now Jesus has superseded the law. He's fulfilled the law, and for you and me, I was answering the question, Jim, relative to the time that we live in right now. This is this the, the Hebrews makes it clear. This is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. God has nothing else to say to this world except Jesus. Jesus is the way. He's the truth, and He's the life. Good question, Jim. Thank you for your patience. Here is a question from Lucinda. Um, she says, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, will you explain it? Um, yeah, Lucinda, I'm going to make it easy because I like to take away sort of the mysticism of the, the, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, upon being born again, every Christian has the Holy Spirit given to them. Um, when you when you're truly born again, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you ask for forgiveness of your sins, and put your faith in the Jesus of the Bible, the Spirit comes to live in you. Jesus told his disciples that it was good for them that he went away, because if he goes, he'll send another him, another Comforter or Counselor, and he will be in you, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll be be in you to the end of the age. So we've got the Holy Spirit in fullness. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is more a baptism of power. Um, the, the, the trigger is obedience. Acts 5.32, God gives the Holy Spirit and power to those who obey him. So the baptism of the Spirit is a second uh, experience or many, many, many second experiences. Um, the idea is that uh, when we take a step of obedience, God supplies the power that we need to do it. Now, one of the problems that we have, one of the reasons I think, Lucinda, that the church has so little impact in the world that we live in is because we're doing a lot of stuff in our own strength, and we don't have any strength. And we're not doing what the, what the, the Holy Spirit wants us to do. We're not being empowered by the Spirit. And I'm of the um, opinion, Lucinda, that everything that we do, if you want to be a good wife, a good mom, if I want to be a good husband, if I want to be a good pastor, if I just want to be a good person, I can't even do that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's one of the reasons you see so many Christians who are run, you know, they kind of run hot and cold. And um, um, the, the the reality is that... Um, we can't even be consistent without the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need that power. Sometimes when it happens, the first time it's it's a, a very emotional experience. It will be um, an experience that, that people will never forget. Um, other times it's not that dramatic. But it's the same power. And we've got to stay plugged into the source of that power, the Holy Spirit, and that's why we need to pray for the, the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit or the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you call it, doesn't matter. Just having it is what matters. What we need to do is be sure that every day we get up and take that first step out of the bed, uh, we're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in our own strength. And the way to do that, I say all the time, is just be with Jesus, be in the Word, be talking to the Lord and be obedient, and his power is always going to be available. 
So that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lucinda, very quickly, um, when I was baptized in the Spirit the first time I spoke in tongues, I was a very new Christian. That doesn't always happen. Um, uh, sometimes it's so emotional. I had a, a good friend uh, who's a, a pastor in California, and he said uh, back in the Jesus people days um, that, that it was like tidal waves of love rolling over him. Um, I, I've had an experience with the Spirit where I was crying. It's not just always good things. I was crying because God gave me this broken heart for the people. And I was crying at a depth that I really, I, I really never experienced before. All of those are, are effects of being baptized in or filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the things that we need to have every single day of our life. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything at all. Thank you for that. Um, Jim says, thank you. Jim, thank you very, very much. Uh, here is a question. This one is from Kaylee. Is the sinlessness of Jesus an essential doctrine of our faith? Absolutely, Kaylee, it is. If Jesus could have sinned even, uh, then we don't have a Savior. So this, this isn't, this isn't a, 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 even a question. Uh, this is an essential of our faith. If Jesus wasn't perfect, if Jesus had a sin nature, um, then we would all be lost. But that's why the, the, the Holy Spirit was his Father. God the Father sent the Holy Spirit to conceive Jesus in, in uh, Mary's womb. Uh, and uh, it, had there been a human involved in that pregnancy, then, then the, um, the, the sinful nature of man would have been imparted to Jesus and we'd all be lost. So yes, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So that's as important as it gets. Um, that's why the doctrine of the the uh, virgin birth is an essential. Um, but th- this is something that is is um, not even in question. And when you find so-called Christians who try to tell you that oh Jesus wasn't perfect or he couldn't have been born of a virgin. Um, those are those are men and women who are not really born again, Kaylee. So thank you very, very much. Jeff wants to know, how do I balance works versus grace for salvation? Um, I don't think, Jeff, there's any balance. Um, um, grace is God's unmerited favor. Um, I always add, to the infinitely ill-deserving. Well, because I'm the infinitely ill-deserving, I need grace. Grace changes everything. And um, um, that's how we get saved. We're saved by grace through faith. And that the faith, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. That's Ephesians chapter 2. So uh, there's no balance. It's grace, 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 grace. Now, once you're a recipient of grace then you do good things. Um, you know, we, we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are works. Good fruit, that's works. We serve. Uh, we, we, we consider others better than ourselves. All of those things are a result of receiving grace. None of those things gets us to be saved, but those things are our grateful response to everything that God has done for us. Grace is the most amazing gift ever given. We do a song very very occasionally around here, usually because I ask for it. But it's, uh, Your Grace Still Amazes Me. Uh, and it, it's such a good song. And I'm always reminded uh, when we do that song that God's grace given to me um, requires me, not, not an obligation, but, but I can't help myself. I've got to surrender everything to the Lord. And so I do good works, um, but those works don't save me. So they're a result of being saved, they're a result of receiving grace, but in and of themselves, they earn rewards for us in heaven, they bring a smile to Jesus' face, and certainly we're obligated to do them in the sense that he's given everything for us. We should give everything to him. But uh, not a single work, Jeff, not a single work that you do contributes to your salvation. It may demonstrate to others that you're saved. 
you remember in the first century church in the book of Acts, um, after the, the outpouring of the Spirit and 3,000 men were saved on that first day, uh, the believers were together. And, and the people would look at them and say, boy, these, they, they sure love one another. Um, that was because of the works that were produced by grace. But never, ever mess with grace because there's not a single work that you could ever do that would contribute in the least to your salvation. You know, we get saved, then we get baptized. We don't get baptized to get saved. We get baptized because we are saved. We go to church. We don't go to church to get saved. We go because we are saved. We open our Bibles. Why? Because that's God's love letter to us. And and, and we, we do it because we want to, to know more about him. But there's not a single work that you could ever do that contributes even a little tiny bit to your salvation. Now, I know there's a lot of people that hate that. They just hate when I say that because, well, if you say that, people aren't going to do anything. They're not going to serve. Well, well, I think God is able to go get those people. I think we can we can watch our own walk and trust that the Lord is going to deal with them. But But salvation is completely, utterly, amazingly free. So I hope that helps, Jeff. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question that kind of connects to the question I just had. Um, a minute ago. It's anonymous. It's hard to believe for me that Jesus never sinned at all, even as a kid. Is believing that essential to our faith? Uh, I told the other um, questioner that, that it is an essential. If you don't believe that Jesus was without sin, then you're not saved. It's just that simple. You do not have the Jesus of the Bible. You have a Jesus of your own making, a Jesus who can't save. Now, I've had a lot of fun over my years of teaching the Bible with considering Jesus' childhood. Um, you know, we have a thing, We our kids get to be two years old, and people say, oh, my, my kid's in the terrible twos. Jesus didn't have terrible twos. He had terrific twos. And, 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 and he never sinned, not in thought, not in deed, because any sin would have prohibited God from saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So, you know, it may be hard to believe Jesus never sinned for you, but you're wrong. And this is an essential of our faith, Anonymous, so it's something you've got to work your way through. Either the Bible is telling you the truth or it's not. And that's the decision that we have to make. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question. This one comes from Monty. Um, how should unmarried men deal with sexual temptation? Um, in holiness, uh, offer your bodies to the Lord as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord, Romans 12.1 says. Um, so the way you deal with it is to focus on Jesus, to be with Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about the gift of celibacy that he had. And not all men is, are, are as I am. He said, I wish that all men were as I am. And what he's saying is, look, I'm single, and I'm a man, but my focus is Jesus. Monty, I believe that God will give every single man and woman, for that matter, um, the gift of celibacy. I'm, I'm equally convinced that that's a gift nobody ever asks for. But it is a gift that every single man or woman ought to ask for every day. Lord, yesterday I, I, I walked in celibacy, and, and I want to do it again today. Give me the gift. And it's, it's just a matter of focusing on him instead of on the desires of your flesh. And it's a war that you've got to win, Monty. Now, when I say we should ask for the gift of celibacy, it's not permanent. If God's going to bring a man or a woman in your life later, depending on whether you're a man or a woman, then 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 he'll let you enjoy the sexual relationship because it's his gift to, to you, a reward for being faithful and for walking in purity, um, um, honoring him in the process. So you've just got to decide, every day I'm going to crucify my flesh, every day I'm going to be with Jesus. And in his presence, I think sometimes we focus on the thing that we're being tempted by, and we fall into that temptation 
Uh, instead, we need to focus just on Jesus, just on Jesus alone. So, money, that's how you deal with it. Every single day, you've got to deal with it. And let me add that, that that same answer is true for everything that tempts you. It might not be sexual temptation. It might be alcohol. It might be drugs. It might be um, um, a, a vicious temper that you've got. It doesn't matter. But But you've got to put to death the flesh. It's that simple. And we do that by walking with Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Valerie says, I don't understand why Jesus had to suffer so much and then die. It seems very cruel that the Father would do nothing to spare his son. Um, Valerie, your perspective is is uh, so worldly. Now, um, uh, I'm not questioning your salvation, um, but, but the first thing you've got to do when you say it seems very cruel, um, you've got to understand that, that God cannot be cruel. So there had to be an ulterior motive. It's certainly not cruel uh, because you would um, uh, help your child. Um, the father was helping his children, that's you and me. So the father didn't do nothing. He forsook Jesus for you and for me. And if Jesus didn't die, the Bible says repeatedly, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. If Jesus didn't die, we would all be lost. I think this all boils down to, we look in a human um, perspective, we think, well, I would do anything for my son or for my daughter. And we would do anything we possibly could. However, um, God, who loved his son so much, made a choice, a value choice. He considered you and me, Valerie, more valuable than even his own son because it was his son who was going to win us to him. We were going to become part of the family because of that. So I really don't know how to answer that question when people say that. It's it's just God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And that's the farthest thing from being cruel in the world. Okay, we're inside five minutes. Maybe no time for any phone calls now. So let's get this one from Adam. The news said the pandemic is over. Should we be careful still wearing masks and keeping distance from others, even in the church? Um, Adam, I don't want to really get started on this because <laughs> I don't want to... I have nightmare flashbacks to the pandemic. No, uh, I, we've learned so much. And, you know, one of the things that we had to deal with during the pandemic was all this misinformation that was being funneled to us by supposedly, supposedly reliable sources. Um, so, you know, just, you got to live your life. You got to serve the Lord. And you got to be engaged. You got to love other people. And there's always going to be an inherent risk. It's coming up flu season, and there are people going to get the flu. Um, you know, we, we've, we've simply got to let go of the fear. And uh, Adam, just act as though it never happened. I think a lot of people are embarrassed by their responses to that. Okay, let me get to my last question here today. This one is from Jill. Uh, following up on the question about Jesus sinning at a younger age, I have a couple of ideas why Jesus didn't marry. Could one reason be because of the marriage vows? It would require him to love, honor, and cherish his wife over others. And, of course, that would be a problem when his task was to love the world. Also, could it be because any pregnancy in their marriage would produce a child that is more than human? Hmm, I don't, kind of like the Nephilim, no disrespect uh, intended here, no disrespect meant. Um, no, Jill, um, Jesus wasn't married uh, for one reason, one reason only. That was not his mission in life. Jesus' mission was to do the will of his Father in heaven, and the will of his Father in heaven we need to stop thinking about this in, in human terms. Jesus was human, but he was also God. And he said, my, my meat or my food is to do the will of my Father. That was the only reason that he was here. So it had nothing whatsoever to do with anything else. Um, um, the marriage vows, loving his wife, uh, or possible pregnancy. He didn't have the same kind of goals that we have. 
He came into this world for one, one purpose, and that's to die. From the moment he came out of Mary's womb and cried the very first time, getting breath, at that moment, every single step he took, every single moment was designed to get him to that cross. So that's the reason he didn't marry. He had an interest only in doing what his father said. He actually said, Jill, that I only uh, say what I hear my father say and only do what I see my father do. So he didn't have any of the goals. He didn't, he didn't want to be successful in the world. Uh, he wasn't interested in becoming influential. Um, he wasn't interested in raising a family. Uh, all of those things that we so cherish None of that mattered to Jesus. His mission was simply winning uh, your heart and mine, and I'm so grateful that he did. So, Jill, I don't think that's the, don't think that's, uh, you're on the right track there, but thank you for the question. Okay, we are about out of time here. Um, pray for the ladies. Our pastor's wives are, are together uh, having their pastor's wives retreat. I'd appreciate it if you keep them in prayer. So far, they're having a wonderful time. Uh, with one another, and they're having a wonderful time in the Lord. Um, I'm so grateful that you take the time to tune in and listen to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.